This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you to episode number 60, where today we are going to be talking about the elegance of trigonometry. So interestingly enough, this was uh, this is the very first time that we announced a future episode in a previous episode. So I, if, if you guys heard the last episode, it was a comment of the week that actually made us, you know, what was like, mm-hmm. hey, let, why don't you guys do trigonometry? That and, was actually by accident, by the way. And here we are. Because I picked the comment like right before we started recording and I didn't realize that that was going to give up the topic of oh, this week's. You didn't know that? Like, like I, didn't, obviously... I didn't I didn't plan that ahead, but I mean, I guess it just happened. You Anyways. didn't even know. You didn't even know. Well, the point anyway, is, here we are. Here we, we are. are. It was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And now we're making an episode on trigonometry. If yep. you do have, um, what's it called? recommendations for topics something you want to hear us talk about um make sure to leave it in the comments or -hmm. just leave a a random comment and you might get selected as the comment of the week on next week's episode the comment of the week for this week's episode though is a nice one i don't know who it is it is some interesting username djdj12 i don't know if that means something And he commented, or she commented, love the podcast. This is one of the reasons I want to pursue physics. Wow. That's great. Thank you, DJ DJ 12. (laughs) Physics is probably the greatest thing you could ever study. So, you Mm -hmm. know, we we encourage everybody to do some math, do some physics. They do go hand in hand. And then maybe you'll realize like, hey, Physics is more than just projectile motion and force diagrams. You know, it gets it gets pretty interesting when you start learning things like quantum mechanics, Ooh. for example. Yeah, of course. Something that a lot of people find super mysterious, but you know, it's based off of observational deductions and things like that. And it's a pretty bulletproof theory. It hasn't been like dis. Wait, you're talking about quantum theory? It's not really. I mean, it's bulletproof in in whatever. Like Like we only have a very select range of bullets, and yeah, it blocks those bullets. But we don't know the number of potential bullets that there can be. What I'm trying to say is, quantum theory is is still like disputed in in a lot of like nooks and crannies. Like the essence. No, but I'm saying that every experiment mm -hmm. that we do. Yeah is aligned with quantum all the experiments that again we know how to do that's what i was saying the bullets like all the bullets that we have so all the experiments that we know how to do so far 
all makes sense with quantum theory. So yeah, but the thing is, we probably only tested out like this small two, three percent, maybe even less of experiments that there mm -hmm. possibly are. Who knows? Oh yeah. Knows? By the way, I wanted to yeah. let people know, um, like people who send us emails, we see your emails. We just get lazy <laughs> to reply <laughs> to them, but but just know we we do see all of your emails and we read them and we will reply to them eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. We just try as much as we yeah. can. Because a lot of the times, like, we read the email and we're like, we're going to reply to them. But again, because of this, you know, yeah. laziness, like you've so well put it, <laughs> we, we just say, oh, we'll do it. We'll do it later. We'll do it tomorrow. And then we just keep forgetting. So, like, don't yeah, worry. We have read true. it. Like, we will get to you. It's just that sometimes, you know, we just we just forget. <laughs> yeah. In other news, 8,000 followers yesterday. Oh, yeah. That was, that that was, was great. Amazing. That was Two fantastic. More. And by... By yesterday, I mean Friday, um, oh, not because uh, this goes up on Monday. But yeah, yeah. Um, we're almost at 10,000, which is going to be crazy, of course. And this is just on Spotify, by the way. We do have like like 500 subscribers on YouTube. We have like 400 followers on another platform. I have no idea how many followers on we Google. have on Apple because they don't tell us. Our Google podcast like numbers have increased. We used to have like 4% of our uh, of our listeners, I remember, on Google podcast. Now we have close to like 7.5. Not a big difference, but it's still the difference. <laughs> cool. So like I'm just cool. saying, you know, cheers to those All Google right. podcast listeners. And uh, we also uh, topped 110,000 downloads this week. So we're at 112,000 actually right now. Mm. So yeah, we're we're gunning for that two hundred, and then hopefully for the five hundred. No, we're we're gunning for the million. Well, we're right gun, we're gunning for the million, obviously, but like short term for goals first. Short term goals first, for sure, for sure. So anything yes, else? Any other news uh, we need to bring up? I don't think so. I don't think let's, so. Uh, start talking about trigonometry. Trigonometry. Wait, wasn't there something else? Oh yeah, the live stream. Oh my God, we forgot about this. Yes, the one hundred K Q and A. Ladies and gentlemen, the 100K Q&A will be taking place live on YouTube Saturday, 15th of May at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we will be announcing this on Instagram, like on Friday, on Thursday, like we're going to be posting it on our stories, you know, reminding everyone, all that kind of stuff. But we're also yep. going to be having a post. So if you guys do follow us on Instagram, just forget the date. Don't worry. You can see it there. So make, so, sure, yeah. to make sure to follow us it. on Instagram exactly. at math.physics.podcast. We're almost at 1,000 followers on Instagram, which is oh. cool. Oh, so yeah, make sure to uh, check us out there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So let's get into uh, trigonometry and talk about triangles really quickly let's get into it yeah the first uh the first base i think with trigonometry parker and i were talking about this before we started we were like is it circles or is it triangles and at least the first time i learned trigonometry and i think most people learn trigonometry this way in high school and stuff with the idea of a right angle triangle right so trigonometry always works only with these right angle triangles and the interesting thing hold on right? that's well, not true <laughs> it's, no. it's okay it's defined using right angle triangles sorry it doesn't obviously it can work anywhere not... it's defined using right angle triangles i guess like sine guess. theta by definition requires a right angle triangle it requires a 90 degree somewhere in that uh, angle i think it's more of like a coincidence but you think so 
I don't know. Yeah, because you you're not you're not drawing a right angle triangle on purpose. You're just looking at the x coordinate. Of... That's that, that's what I'm saying. I think it's because of the fact that you're talking about the x and y basis vectors. Like you're talking about the fact that you know you're moving in one direction and the other direction is orthogonal to it. So I think simply because of the because of the nature of the I'm Cartesian plane. I'm not following plane, what you just said. So. Uh, are you saying that because of the nature of the Cartesian plane, we have 90 degree triangles? That's what you're no, saying. No, I'm just, no. I, okay, we're, we're going to talk about this later. Okay, yeah, this, we, uh, we dive too all, deep into it in the beginning. The first thing that has to be stated is that trigonometry sounds like it's about triangles, but in fact, it is about circles. Why is it about circles? Well, the circle is like the most perfect shape that exists in nature. Um, and I guess one way you can think about a circle is that if you want to draw a shape, you can look at the vertices, right? And if you have two vertices, you can't draw a shape. You just have a line. And then as soon as you add a third vertice, you can draw a triangle and then you can add another one. And then you have things called like regular polygons, why did I say it like that? Regular polygons um, where each side and each angle has the same length and same degree, right? And those are like your squares, regular pentagons, things like that. And then what you do is you just crank up the number of vertices to in infinity and you will have a circle. So you can either think of the circle as an infinite-sided regular polygon or you can think about about it as a one-sided like just you know it just has one side no yeah because angles. well technically it doesn't have any sides like a circle by yeah. definition like doesn't have any corners either right so like mm. like the, like by like by definition that's the beauty of a circle right and i believe and we might actually we are going to be talking about you know the the idea behind pi as well and because you were bringing it up this way i think it's kind of nice to talk about in a number file video, I believe. And I think, is this, was this how pi was thought about or was this simply like a consequence that they found where they were trying to find the area. So basically they were approximating the area of a circle with radius one. So they were approximating that via using these polygons and increasing the number of sides to infinity. That's not how it was done. Was that so? That was not how it was made. But no. I believe that, like it was. A, it's a consequence that basically that tends to pi. So, I think how how like initially pi was found because they realized that like the ratio, like the 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 radius and the circumference is proportional for any any circle, right? It's 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 uh it's uh, equal to some constant. And then, you know, they realized soon after that that constant is not rational. And so you have to approximate it by some number. And then they started approximating it using like uh, regular polygon approximations. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the very first official calc... Okay, well, technically I'm, I'm reading here like the ancient Babylonians also, you know, approximated pi is equal to three by taking, you know, just the, like the radius of a circle. I, I'm assuming mm -hmm. a very simple approximation. But the first mathematical calculation that we have of pi was by Archimedes himself when he took a circle and he's like, okay, 
I'm going to inscribe a polygon inside and I'm going to inscribe mm -hmm. a polygon outside. We what have talked the... about this before. Yeah, I, I think we when, have. And this is a beautiful consequence. And I think there, I still remember there's some, some video or some article that I've read where they talk about the futility of this method with what we have today to calculate pi. Because this method is basically done by calculating these areas of these polygons inscribed inside and outside. So basically you get a lower bound and an upper bound yeah. for pi. So the more sides and the more of these, uh, yeah, basically the more sides you have, the closer you get to the circle. So the more you approximate and up until like, I mean, obviously, I mean, don't quote me here, but up until pretty recently before a new method of pi was found, people were literally spending their entire lives. I believe there was one mathematician spending like 30 years solving like 20 digits of pi. Yeah. And you know, you know what actually happened is that in the past, what they would do is they would manually, like they would use that method to approximate pi, but they would have to calculate it by hand. And then comes Newton, okay? Newton was actually fascinated by the binomial theorem, which is basically you have, you have two terms and then raised to some power, right? And what he actually did, this is actually very intelligent. This guy right? is so, a genius, he, man. He used, um, he used calculus, which he came up with. <laughs> and he, so we know that the equation for the top half of a circle, right? You can, you can say it's like y is equal to, and let's say it's just the unit circle. So it'll be the square root of x squared or square root of one minus x squared. And so what he did is he took, um, he, he went from zero to one right so that he he got the the top right quarter of the circle and he he took um the the square root of 1 minus x squared as a binome right so you have 1 and then minus x squared and then all to the power of 1 half and what he did is he expanded that using binomial theorem and then of course you have like an infinite amount of terms um and so what he did is he cut off at a certain point the amount of terms and then integrated that from zero to one and it's actually a very easy computation right because it's essentially you're left with integrating a polynomial and your bounds are zero and one so all you're going to be left with are the, the coefficients of your like each term in the polynomial and so he was actually able to like you know when, when you calculate the area of a circle but only the top quarter, and this is the unit circle, then you're calculating pi over four. So to actually get a value, an approximate value for pi, you just multiplied that integral by four, and he actually got very close. I think it was the equivalent to hand calculating the area of like a polygon with 300,000 sides. Yeah, I remember something that's like that. How, like, <laughs> that's how precise his method was. And it literally, that calculation is so simple. And he cut it off so many him, terms too, you know? Yeah, he cut off so many terms and it was so accurate. It was mind blowing. When I read about that, I was like, man, this guy is Newton on a is on a level. new level because this <laughs> guy didn't, because level. if you think about it, like Archimedes is like 200 BC. Newton is like 1600s. Yeah. So that means for like 1500 plus years, like 16, yeah. 1700 years, they were trying to calculate pi using these approximations, using these, um, using these polygons. And it's yeah, in such like, a, 
in such an that's, infutile way because at the end of the day like after like all the way up until like 1500 or something before newton i believe the most digit they had got was like 20 or something which was like but imagine imagine for like a thousand or like thousands of years people have been like walking in between like cities and they would take them days and yeah. months to walk between cities and then newton comes around in like a sports car and just like out of nowhere drives like and it takes him two seconds everyone's like how did how did nobody think of this well you know newton invented the yeah. tools that he used exactly to, like he, I was just he built say. the car he he did it all himself and mm-hmm. you know he literally wrote the tools out. to solve the question like it's yeah. not like he used something else so it's not really that yeah. it was that obvious to other people right because mm-hmm. everyone was completely astounded and that's also why you know Newton was such a highly respected physicist because obviously like he invented his own form of mathematics to solve the world's problems you know and and, and that's such an interesting mm-hmm. way like that's such an interesting take on just calculus you know yeah definitely but anyways enough talk of of all of all of these things we 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 got to get back on track to trigonometry so mm. let's talk about degrees versus radians oh okay? okay this is so, uh this is interesting, interesting because every every grade 12 kid or every person who yeah. like gets into radians or at least in my class i remember just hated it because you have to think yep. because your original 180 degrees 360 degrees had now turns into pi mm-hmm. and 2 pi and it's so weird but it made so much sense to think in terms of degrees. Yeah. But the thing is, it like radians are so superior. It, now we so think about things in terms of radians. Superior. Like everything that I think about in terms of a circle is I I I don't think we've ever spoken about degrees in a very long no, time. I don't, actually, in astronomy, we actually talk about degrees. Okay, astronomy is okay. But, that's a little. I'm talking about like math or at least, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about like physics, math right now, especially like when we're talking about, we're going to get into some cool things with angles and, and, you know, these radians and the use of these radians. So, yeah. And the reason why it's called radians, it may remind you of the word radius. Okay. Uh And for all those maybe who don't know, radius is a length from the center of the circle to the edge. And if you can visualize a circle in your head right now, you'll realize that the radius is the same no matter which point you pick on the edge. Okay, you start at the middle, you go to the edge, you have the radius. The reasons why, or the reason why we have this this way to calculate angles, and it's called radians, is essentially because you have this, um, you have a circle, and instead of thinking in terms of degrees, which is essentially cutting your circle up into 360 little segments and then you say you know this many segments and you have this angle and instead of doing that you say um how many like if i walk along the circle how many radii am i walking along and as we mentioned earlier the ratio from circumference to radius is actually 2 pi which means if you walk two pi radii along your circle, you're going to come around to where you started. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we describe angles. If you want to go a quarter circle, then you go pi over two because pi radians gets you halfway, pi over two gets you a quarter of the way. And so that's how you have to think about 
radians you you multiply mm-hmm. by two and that's an entire well um, i mean before even thinking about the whole two pi situation revolution. like you can just think about well one radian even though we never really use it in terms of numbers like i've never really seen five radians it's always some multiple of pi but before we're like even though you've already spoken about it like the the idea behind like one radian is so like if if i want to walk the equivalent of one radius like however big my radius is like that mm-hmm. would be equal to one radian and i think that is yeah, the so definition like of the radian. angle the angle that ends up being that separates you from your position on the circle to where you started uh-huh. is defined by how many radians or radii you walked uh-huh. exactly. along the circle. And the reason why this is great is because it's very um, it's very neat. You know, if you think about degrees, you think, okay, you have 0, 90, 180, 270, 360. It doesn't really make okay so much sense it's to, just because uh, we're us, used man, to it to yeah? us right cause now because we're, we're used to it exactly yeah it's because we're used to talking about degrees um but when you get used to talking about radians it's like it, it just makes so much sense it's like you start using a hammer to hit nails instead of your hand you know but it also makes, it does it depend in the context sense. it does heavily depend in the context like for example if you're doing any type of you know engineering or construction you're not talking about radians you're probably talking about degrees mm. You know, you're probably saying, okay, the stairs are inclined at 30 degrees or something like that. You know, you're not yeah. really saying pi over six but, radians. But one reason why pi or one reason why radians are so useful is because pi comes up everywhere mm-hmm. in mathematics, literally everywhere. And so when you have a system to describe angles where pi is literally everywhere, you're talking about pi over four, pi over two, two pi the the way you describe your angles has everything to do with pi and then pi comes up naturally everywhere in mathematics it all blends together so well that there's no there's you could do it in degrees but there's no reason why you should mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and another thing about uh about radians a very a very interesting thing about radians is that it is the ratio again between how much you've traveled and that radius equal to the basically how much you've traveled versus the radius of the of the circle now what is an interesting thing about how much you've traveled and the radius of the circle is that they have the same units so radians by definition is unitless and this is actually very cool because and we're gonna get into like angular velocity which is a really Mm -hmm. interesting idea and especially heavily used with radians it's useful because radians are unitless. So when you say radians per second, which is like a unit for angular velocity, I know I'm getting into it and we haven't gotten into it. Yeah. <laughs> but I know, I know, I know. But just hear me out here. Radian per second, which is like a unit for angular velocity, can be thought about as frequency. Because hertz. radian as hertz. Because a radian yeah. is unitless. So you can just say it you can just say as units, it's just one. So one over second by definition is hertz which translates the frequency. So your angular speed is related to frequency. And I think that's an amazing, uh, I think that's an amazing relationship because the radian by definition is unitless. And one realization that's always great when, when someone realizes this the first time is that you have a wave that oscillates up and down and you realize that that wave is literally connected to a circle by one it's 
its angular velocity because you can think of a um, the oscillations of a wave as an angle going around a circle or sorry not an angle uh, well this is connected to the sine and cosine yeah, which is, i yeah. guess we should talk about first and then come back to this topic but yeah before we actually get into like sine cosine and then trigonometric identities Ooh, I, do, nice. I do want to make my case here for tau oh my god now, now not hear this me again out. man not this now, again. no no now, now hear me out okay <laughs> to me this makes so much sense but ray actually does have a counter argument which i'm sure he will he will let you know um essentially tau is two pi okay so it's literally just pi multiplied by two um so if you were to talk about a full revolution around a circle you say it's tau radians okay but why is two pi so significant here because i think when students learn about circumference and area it will lead to like faster understanding of of the two but hear me out okay so first of all you learn about circumference and you're told it's it's 2 pi r, r being the radius, um, which it kind of comes out of nowhere, right? You just, you're expected to just memorize that formula and just deal with it, right? But it's actually cool when in, when you learn calculus, like five years later, you actually <laughs> like derive that formula and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Anyways, then you learn about area and it's pi r squared. That also kind of comes out of nowhere, and you're just expected to memorize it. But notice how the circumference is 2 pi r, and tau is 2 pi. So instead of telling students that circumference is 2 pi r, they think of it as tau r, okay? So they associate tau with circumference and pi with area. Now... So, so when you think about circumference, tau r. When you think about area, pi r squared. Now, why does this make um, more intuitive sense, at least to me, is because you have a constant and then a variable. The constant in, the term, in, in circumference is going to be tau, and the variable is r. And r has units of meters, centimeters, whatever you want. But when you're thinking about area, you're thinking about a constant pi times r squared which gives you units of meters squared which is area right so all you have to remember is your units right and so if you're trained from a young age to think circumference tau area pi you get asked the circumference you think okay so circumference is length units of meters it's just tau r units of meters you're asked area you think pi meters squared r squared doesn't that make so much sense isn't that so much prettier than two pi r that's my argument for for tau <laughs> i think this is the funniest argument because it's so it's so stupid <laughs> it's not stupid <laughs> it's not you're talking stupid. about using another variable on top of this beautiful variable that we already have now here's my argument to that because it makes the distinction. Now, it here, separates. But anyways. it only distincts. Like it, it is only be able. <laughs> distincts. It is only be able to distinguish 
between circles and I mean between the circle circumference and the area there are so many more uses of pi and so many more times where pi appears in an equation in a mathematical identity a volume 4 over 3 pi r cubed everywhere i'm not saying you have to use it everywhere i'm saying when kids learn about circumference they think tau r and pi r squared they separate the two and then it's easier to now me it's easier. let me let me pose another point and this is for your the, uh, for uh, for those people out there that you know understand a little calculus because this is because i i do want to bring up a point that has something to do with derivatives so a really nice thing about these circles and about all of these circular shapes even in three dimensions for example is that they're volumes and when i say volumes i mean volume in three dimensions area in two dimensions length in one dimension like i mean like the same like it just it just it, it's based on it's based on uh it's based on the number of dimensions we're in so when i say volume in one dimension i'm talking about circumference of the circle when i say volume in two dimensions i'm talking about area of the circle when i say volume in three dimensions i'm talking about volume of a sphere right so a very interesting thing about these volumes is that they are all related to each other via the derivative and i don't know if this is a coincidence i don't think i don't know if it's a coincidence or it's just an interesting mathematical property but the volume in three dimensions is what four over three pi r cubed right that's i mean for those like might have memorized that formula <laughs> four over three pi r cubed take the derivative we get four pi r squared with respect to r with respect to r yeah sorry take yeah. the derivative with, i mean there's no other variable like so pi, i mean like with respect to r obviously take the derivative with respect to r you get four pi r squared now that is the surface area of a circle four pi r squared Take the derivative of that. No, wait. It's pi r squared that you take the derivative of, that you get that. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so your 4 pi r squared will translate your volume in three dimensions by taking that derivative. You get, you understand the surface area of sorry, the same thing in two dimensions. Sorry? No, you, you, said, you said the 4 pi r squared is going to be the volume to surface area, yeah. but it's 4 over 3 pi r our cube. cube yeah that goes from volume to surface yeah that's area. what i said does that know what i said oh sorry you no, said no, it no, other no. way around that, that, that's what i meant the four over three pi r cubed goes to the surface mm -hmm. area four pi r squared and that's just an interesting relationship between three and two dimensions let's talk about our circle circles area and the circle circumference this is really cool and this is why i condone the use of pi and this is why i like the use of pi take pi r squared the area of a circle if we take the derivative of that, again, I don't know if this is a coincidence, but this would be really interesting to know. But if you take the derivative of that, you get 2 pi r, which is the circumference of a circle. So the perfect relationship between pi r squared, and so, sorry, between the area of a circle and the circumference of a circle. So this is where tau would make no sense because there's no tau anywhere like but the problem is i don't think pi. people think about it yeah this is just my sense. take on it and this is just an interesting coincidence that i'm that i just wanted yeah. to bring up but if you do want to think about it like why that does make sense imagine a uh, a ball 
right, with some radius. And as you increase the radius of that ball, the volume is going to increase. It just so happens that it's equal to the surface area, but you can imagine that it's proportional at least to the surface area, right? Because as you're increasing the radius, the the amount of surface area around that ball is going to tell you kind of how much volume is going to be added when you increase the radius. I don't know if that was a little bit too hand wavy, but yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a way to <laughs> It was think a little about. interesting. It was a little interesting for sure. Um, so in this episode, we're talking, you know, a lot about these trigonometric concepts and we're also, you know, introducing calculus now in, in, in some of it. So for those of you that have probably either not heard of trigonometry or want to know more about trigonometry, just learn it and, you know, understand where we're coming from. You guys should check out brilliant.org. So sure. Brilliant has some really cool courses on trigonometry. For example, they have some graph problem solving. They have inverse trigonometry, you know, when we're talking about like inverse sine and cosine, and we're going to get to that. Mm. Uh, they also have some cool trigonometry graphs uh, courses. And again, just a quick recap, Brilliant usually just has the one motto, practice, practice, practice where all their courses, they teach you the material, and then you're basically just, you know, doing these doing these quizzes. So it's a really nice so way, you, you know, to learn more. As you guys know, you go on Brilliant, you learn, you practice. That's how you get good at, mm -hmm. you know, math and physics. So the first 200 of you guys to sign up with our link in the description, brilliant.org slash MPP will get 20% off your membership premium mm -hmm. memberships so go check that out also nowadays we don't do it in the description anymore i i, I do it in the comment section right because i don't know the just it, people people can see it more i guess so yeah sure. so description slash comment section <laughs> yeah so let's let's get to the 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 meat Ooh. of trigonometry Ooh. which is sine cos tan and i know i mentioned this another time uh the first time that i saw sine was actually in I think it was grade nine or grade 10 physics class where we were learning about uh, like reflection or refraction, something like that. And there's there's like an angle, like an incident angle that you need to calculate the sine of in order to get like the, the angle of the other beam. Anyways, the point is there's a sine of the angle in that formula. And I asked my teacher, what does that mean? And she just said, don't worry about it. Ooh, I'm like, okay, thank you good. very much. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but it is very interesting when you actually do get to learn about what sine cos tan actually is and why they're important and where you can actually use these functions uh, to solve actual problems. For example, when you get into calculus and you solve like optimization problems where it depends on angles and things like that. Now, to introduce this topic or maybe just to go over it quickly i guess we're not going to get like too deep into it but uh imagine you have um let's do it let's do the right angle triangle way i guess that's the easiest way okay i think um, that is because that's the simplest way to explain yeah. sine cosine yeah, right. tangent yeah, yeah. but like then yeah, moving from there we can talk about some cool stuff yeah definitely so you have a you have a right angle triangle i always like to imagine the right angle is on the right, and then you have some angle on the left. And then you have your hypotenuse that goes across diagonally. And so the the sine of 
the angle on the left side is going to be equal to opposite over hypotenuse. So it's just a ratio between the length of the side that is opposite to the angle divided by the length of the hypotenuse. That's literally it. Mm -hmm. And then cosine is adjacent over hypotenuse. Again, same thing. And then tan. Well, not, well, not same thing. I mean, it's a different, well, no, it's a different same side. Same thing, like different. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's dealing idea. with the adjacent side just, instead of the opposite. But yeah, You just yeah. take the adjacent, yeah. Uh, for tan, you have uh, opposite over adjacent. Again, opposite length of opposite side over length of adjacent side. And you can also think of it as sine over cosine. That is how it's defined. The, tan is defined yeah. as sine over cosine, which yeah. simply equals opposite over adjacent. Mm -hmm. Because the uh, the hypotenuse cancels out when you do the mm -hmm. the ratio, um, so that's what that's what they are. Why why is it useful, Rayhan? Maybe you want to touch uh, on that. why why, why are sine cosine useful? tangent useful? So well, the, the first thing about these things is that well, they are ratios, right? It's not um, it's not a a value that has you know a unit to it. It's not that it has any meaning. It is simply a ratio between these two sides, and the advantage of that is that these ratios can be applied to anything. So if let's say I have an, uh, a triangle that, is, that has a 30 degree angle and has some length, some side, and I just expand it, I just expand it to a really large level, but keep the angle the same, the ratio of everything stays the same. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of trigonometry as well. That no matter how big things are, as long as they're the proportion as long as the proportionality of all of them remains the same, so like the angle stays the same, we have the same proportions. So basically we have the same ratios. So sine goes from zero or, to, or not zero, from negative one to one. So it simply has this, you know, back and forth oscillation and where, where we might get into, you know, sine graphs and stuff like that. But before we touch Actually, into, do we want to touch yeah, into graphs no, right I'll now? No, I was just going to say the reason why it goes from negative one to one. Yeah. And this is the visualization tool that everybody uses. So we have the unit circle. Mm. You draw a line from the origin to the side, any side or any point along that circle. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you create a right angle triangle by, you know, extending out from the origin along the x-axis and then from the x-axis up to that point mm -hmm. you're going to get a right angle triangle and now in this case this is a unit circle so the hypotenuse is one so sine of our angle actually just reduces to the opposite side because it's opposite over hypotenuse but it's opposite over one mm -hmm. so the sine of the angle is just the length of the opposite side same thing for cosine the cosine of the angle is just the length of the adjacent side. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you can... <laughs> this, is, this is always so hard to do without actual visual aid. Yeah. But as you start from the x-axis and then you go counterclockwise around your circle, you can... This is, I feel like this is so hopeless to describe with my words. Let's but anyways, try it. We can the, try it. The, the cosine, right, the adjacent side is going to start at 1, go to 0, then negative 1, and then back to 0 and back to 1. And then the sine is going to start at 0, grow to 1, 
zero minus one and then back to zero um and again and all of that was actually, simply the like the length of the opposite like if you simply think about it right like yeah, when it's completely yeah, flat the opposite right. doesn't exist but the adjacent is one right so like just that's think right. of that yeah and um the the reason why uh this is like a cool thing i guess is because if you plot sine um like the the sine of and the angle versus the angle, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get this wave pattern. And the same thing with the cosine. You're going to get a wave pattern that oscillates between 1 and 0. No, 1 and negative and, 1. Yeah, sorry, 1 and negative 1. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is so useful is because now we can model things that oscillate. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, waves themselves yep. or springs. Yep. Or maybe you're on a Ferris wheel and you can say, you know, graph your height off of the ground well if you're on a ferris wheel your height starts you know at some point and then it oscillates between the bottom of the ferris wheel (laughs) to the top of the ferris wheel at a constant rate something even simpler you can just think about like uh like a mass on a spring right like if it's going up and down and up and down it's basically oscillating so there's some center yeah i misspoke i said i said your height changes at a constant rate i meant the wheel is spinning at a constant rate the height doesn't change anyways. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, so like for yeah, as I was saying, you can just think about like a mass on a spring, for example, right? Like you have that equilibrium point, like at zero, and then it's kind of oscillating between going up and going down and going up and going down, and that motion can be represented as a sinusoid. Now, mm-hmm. what is amazing about these sine graphs and the cosine graphs is if you plot them on the same axis you'll see something where you can understand the relationship between both of these both of these trigonom- uh these these trigonometric functions man my my mic is mic is falling <laughs> so the interesting thing about the sine and cosine is that cosine if you look at the graph of it it is almost identical in the pattern it is identical to that of a sine graph except it is shifted just a little bit. Now, why might that be? That's simply because of the inherent property of how we define sine and cosine. That at zero, like at like at the um, at what am I trying to say? The origin. Not at the origin, but like at the um, oh, like at, as an angle of zero. Yeah, like the angle of zero. Exactly. We have opposite equals zero and adjacent equals one. So we have sine equals zero, cosine equals one. So basically, the idea between sine and cosine is that they are complementary. So mm. a sine of 35 degrees, or, or, or for example, so our, the common example is sine 45 equals cosine 45, right? And then from there, like you can think about any other, any other variation. For example, we have, you know, sine of 40 will equal cosine of 50. So they are basically these complementary angles. That means they if you add them up to 90, they will be the same. And the simple reason is because that is inherently how they are defined. When we have sine equals zero, cosine equals one, and we start moving across the circle, you will literally see them just switch. They will, they will be kind of going in a pattern where they're going towards the center, so they're oscillating towards the center, and they're going back and forth. They're meeting in the center, and they're simply going back and forth. So when this is one, this is zero. When this is zero, this is one. And that's simply the idea behind their oscillation. So even though their pattern is identical, it is simply shifted a little bit. And that mm-hmm. is where we can use 
and signs one for everything. Awesome, one right. awesome thing about sine and cosine is that they are actually cyclical derivatives of each other, right? And not yep. a lot of... Are there any other functions that have this property? I don't think so. Not not oh yeah, maybe like e to the x. But no, but not really it's count. no, that's no e to the right. x is in its own that category. It's in its own category. Yeah. No, I think so this is the only I, one where yeah, explain it. What I mean it, by uh, cyclical derivatives is that really quickly, if you take the derivative of sine, you get cosine, and then again you get minus sine, and then again you get minus cosine, and then again you get sine. Which means if you take four derivatives of sine, you come back to sine itself. Which so it's cool. kind of so cool. interesting because so cool. um, the rate of change, and you can, if you just plot this on Desmos or something, you can see that the rate of change of sine, well, mathematically it lines up with cosine, but if you graph it, you can actually see that, you know, if you start at zero, the rate of change is exactly one, meaning that you can plot the, like the secant line is going to be exactly y equals x. Mm -hmm. And then as you move along sine, the rate of change equals out to zero when sine is sine of the angle is equal to one. And then that is exactly when cosine is equal to zero. And you can do the same experiment with cosine and minus sine and then all the other ones because they all cycle back to each other. And yeah. this is simply the beauty of sine and cosine. This is just the relationship between these two trigonometric identities or uh, uh, trigonometric ratios and they're beautiful because the advantage of this is that this can be used in so many applications as we were talking about in any in any scenario where there is any sort of oscillation so you see this a lot in classical mechanics like if you're ever dealing with well, anything that's oscillating, uh, like, you know, a pendulum, for example, you can describe that using sinusoids, as I was talking about a mass on a spring, that's your common example. Or famously speaking, quantum mechanics is also defined heavily via oscillations, right? There's some, I mean, without really getting too much into quantum mechanics, like there's some spatial inheritance of particles that oscillate and they have, they have positions that they can be mm -hmm. in. There are certain probabilities of certain positions, and they're basically simply oscillations, oscillations from is, different positions. So all of these a, can be represented via trigonometric sine and cosine. Yeah, this is also related to quantum mechanics due to the uh, wave nature of particles. Exactly. Um, where you have like a de Broglie wavelength. That is kind of what I was saying, like like with the with the wave, but like they're the not spatial inheritance of the particle. Like that, that's kind of what I meant. Case, they're not oscillating, right? They just have a wavelength. You can describe it via the fact that via the oscillating wave is what I was saying, right? Like the but it, the wave isn't oscillating. True, but the sine wave by the okay, okay, that's okay. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. It just it came out in the wrong. Like that's not kind of what I meant. I try to say that you can describe this wave-like property, this spatial inheritance of this particle via an oscillatory wave, which is mm -hmm. sine. That's what I was trying to say. Also. Other examples where we do use um, trigonometry, for example, planetary motion, yep. where you can have like uh, angles in a period and all that stuff. That's not, I mean, it's true. Um, what, what else was I going to say? Um, not, Of course, not only triangles. It just so happens that triangles have a lot of uh, interesting uh, 
properties, I guess, with uh, with their angles, for example, the law of sines and the law yeah. of cosines, mm-hmm. where the ratio between an angle and the opposite side is constant between all three angles and sides. That's and then sine law, it's the law of sines. Yeah. And yeah, the law of cosine is a little more complicated. <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated, but there's actually an easy way to derive it. If you know a little bit about linear algebra, what you can do is you can draw a triangle with vectors and then what you do is if you actually take the dot product with well actually what you do is you take the the norm squared of the like you construct the third side of the triangle using the first two sides which you can do with vector subtraction and then what you do is you square you take the norm of that and then you end up getting a dot product which is where the cosine comes from Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the law of cosines, there's going to be like some square terms and then a cosine. It's, it looks kind of random, but that actually comes from taking the square of a norm where you get the... Co- Anyways, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's <laughs> Two cool. Laws. Two cool it's laws. It's cool if you yeah, do Yeah, for it. sure. And now I think we can safely talk about a very... And even more... Like, there are just so many properties. There's just, there are just so many times when you're like, trigonomet- or like trigonometry is cool and that is when we talk about projections so in the nature of projections now when i say projections we are let's just stick with two dimensions here like we can maybe translate it later but let's say we have any vector any vector so like from the origin to some point on the xy plane now an inherent property of all these vectors is that they have some coordinate in the x and some coordinate in the y And these are very useful. For example, if we want to find the angle of the vector, we simply take a ratio of these two coordinates and we take the inverse tangent of it. Just a button on your calculator, if you you may. So the idea, and maybe we can talk about that too, but like first I kind of want to just go through a little bit of projections because we haven't really spoken much about tan, kind of left that guy alone, but it is useful. But with projections, the idea is that Let's say we have, as I said, some vector that's pointing to some xy coordinate. The point is, well, what do we do if we want to find the x coordinate of that vector? What do we do if we want to find the y coordinate of that vector? Like, how do we isolate both of those quantities, right? And where where is this useful, you might ask? Well, think about... Literally everywhere. Well, literally (laughs) everywhere for sure. But like, I'm just uh, like, think about some object like a force body diagram, if any of you guys remember that from high school, or if you just think of any object, let's say you're pushing an object, how do you find the net force? If you calculate all the vectors and all that stuff, like that's just a little too confusing. To dumb it down, you can just calculate the net force in the X direction, net force in the Y direction. This is, my, this is a really useful thing. And a lot of people who've completed 11, grade 11 and 12 physics might know this. So how do you do this? Well, that is via projections. How do you find these components is via taking the sine and cosine of the angles that these vectors uh, that these vectors um, are on the Cartesian plane. Right. And really quickly, the actual definition Let's hear it. of projection is, so you have like a vector and then you have a subspace, essentially. It could be a line, it could be a plane, for example. Let's just stick to two dimensions. We want to, we have like a line that, passes through the origin Mm -hmm. and we want and we have some vector and we want to know the projection of that vector onto that line well the projection by definition is 
a vector along that line that is the closest to the tip of our vector. And so you can actually solve this um, analytically, mm-hmm. which what you do is you actually model a function. So you have your, your, your vector that you want to f- find the projection of, which is just a fixed vector. And then what you do is you fix another vector that is lying on your line. And then what you do is you make a function that um, determines the distance between the two vectors. And then you minimize that function with derivatives and then you can find the projection very complicated if you want to do it if you want to do it geometrically what you can actually do is you can draw a perpendicular line that well so you have your you have your your line and your vector what you do is you draw a line that is perpendicular to your original line and that meets up with the tip of your vector Mm -hmm. and that intersection between your line and the perpendicular line will give you the projection of your vector onto mm-hmm. that line. Now, let's make it a little bit easier. Let's say our line is the x-axis, okay? It just so happens that this is really easy to do to find the projection of a vector onto the x-axis because if you have a vector, the closest point to the x-axis is just going to be the vector with just the x coordinates uh, yeah. of your original vector mm-hmm. right also this makes a lot of sense because that's how you find coordinates of a vector you look um like perpendicularly above the x-axis and you will meet up with your vector same thing with the y-axis you go perpendicularly from your your y component and you will end up meeting with mm-hmm. the tip of your vector mm-hmm. and so once again as we as we talked about earlier you have a vector that starts from the origin and goes to some point. What you do is you draw that line that goes from the tip of your vector down to the x-axis, creating a a right angle, and then you have your x-axis. That is a right angle triangle. So taking the cosine of your vector, uh, sorry, of the angle your vector makes with the x-axis will give you, well, technically you have to multiply it by the length of your vector, Let's pretend it's a unit vector. Um, You take the cosine of the angle, it will give you the length, its component in the x direction. Similarly, if you take the sine, it'll give you the length of the component that is in the y direction. Mm -hmm. And a nice way way to think about projections, and I think this is also a way that they teach it, think of a shadow, right? The the shadow method. And I think by definition, in linear algebra when we learned the official the official definition of projections it was defined as the shadow of a vector <laughs> like in mathematical yeah. terms it was defined as the shadow of a vector so what does that mean is well again let's say we have some vector again hopefully you're just visualizing something originating from the origin pointing to i don't know some xy point doesn't matter think of a light shining down on the x axis what what would you see? So that shadow mm-hmm. is the projection in the x-axis. And if you were to now project it onto the y-axis, right? Like, I mean, if you're imagining the triangle in the first quadrant, like on the, like on the right, then the y, then your, your light is kind of facing left. 
So if you kind of project it on the y-axis, you get what? You get the y-coordinate. So like thinking mm -hmm. about it, like in terms of shadows is kind of nice because you try to, and because then you can apply that to higher dimensions. Because the moment you get to three, you're like, well, how do I find the X and the Y and the Z? Because a projection in three dimensions, the three to two projection is not X and Y, right? It can be some, some combination of X and Y. So a, so a projection in three dimensions is, well, think of X, Y, Z. Now think of some, again, some random vector. Now think, now remember the X, Y plane is just something flat. So think of a light being shone down, like shined, shone, shined? I don't know. <laughs> Sean? Shoned? No, no, not Sean. Shine. Shoned. Shoned. <laughs> oh, okay. Shown like, basically a light that is towards the XY plane. And that shadow, what you see, whatever combination of X and Y you get, will be your projection. And obviously but, this applies way, to all higher dimensions too. Yeah. Um you said that in three dimensions it's different, but it's actually not different because you can actually find, as I was talking about earlier, the projection of a vector in two dimensions onto a line. Yeah, that's no, no, you can, you absolutely can. I'm saying on the XY plane. The I was I was saying like if you're doing it on the XY plane, like something yeah, I'm yeah. saying something three dimensions to two dimensions, not three to one. Three mm -hmm. to one you can just take the sign and stuff like that. You'll be fine with it. But three to mm -hmm. one, it's better if you think I mean sorry, three to two, it's better if you think about it like a like a light shining on top because you can yeah. visualize what's happening there, you know? Now, I want to say one last thing before we actually end the the podcast here. Um, this is really interesting. This is a big brain moment. Right <laughs> Let's hear so, it. Let's hear it. Now, we all know that we have like our vector spaces, um, but now let's think about function spaces, which Does can be defined. Yes. Okay. It's worth it. It's okay, worth it. Okay. Here you go. I'm just going to go over it quickly. If you want to do more research on it, you can. But if you get it, it'll be very, very um, satisfying. Uh -huh. So let's think about the function space of two pi periodic functions. Okay. Or to make it easier, we can think about just um, like sine and cosine functions. Okay. And essentially a vector in this function space is just a linear combination of different sine and cosine waves that have different amplitudes and different um periods mm -hmm. right okay. so we we did have an episode where we talked about fourier series which is where you have any random two pi periodic piecewise continuous this is just fancy for saying like somewhat normal <laughs> function somewhat normal. you can you can write that function as an infinite sum of sine and cosine waves now this is so satisfying because we just talked about projections right now imagine this you have um imagine in three-dimensional space you have a plane right a plane is some sample of vectors that is still like nice in quotation marks meaning that if you have two vectors in that plane you can still add them together and get another vector in that plane you can scale any vector in that plane and it'll still be in that plane right but it's still just a sample of vectors in three-dimensional space now let's think about the function space of all continuous functions as we know sine and cosine waves are just a sample of the entire 
uh, function space of continuous functions, okay? So you can think about the sine and cosine waves as this plane in quotation marks in the function space, right? Here's where it gets crazy. Um, actually, I take, I take it back. I don't mean continuous functions. I mean two pi periodic functions, okay? So sine <laughs> and cosine so waves. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, but yeah. listen, listen. Oh, yeah, no, continue. So you have, continue. you have a function space. A function space is just, you know, a, an element of this function space is a function that is 2 pi periodic. Okay. As we know, you, we don't just have sine and cosine waves, right? We, we can draw any function that repeats itself. By the way, 2 right? pi periodic, because we haven't actually said that, is basically as explained. Just, just, just a quick okay, thing. Yeah. It's just that the fact that every 2 pi, it, it, it repeats itself. Yeah. That's 2 pi periodic. So anyways, here's where it gets super cool, okay? So you can imagine your sine and cosine function space mm -hmm. as like a plane in this 2 pi periodic, piecewise continuous, just a little asterisk, uh, function space. Mm -hmm. And the point of um, Fourier approximations is that you pick a vector in your... 2 pi periodic function space and the Fourier approximation is the projection of that function onto the sine and cosine plane wait right really? it is i read this in the text i, I reread our notes and all that stuff and they state this it's insane right because the more terms you add the closer you can actually get to that function but if you limit your terms you have an approximation you can think of it as you have like some restriction you're restricted to a plane in three dimensions but your function is somewhere else it's not on that plane but you want to get as close as you can to that function so what you do is you take the shadow of that function onto the sine and cosine plane and that point is your Fourier approximation what okay that's pretty crazy man that's Isn't pretty that crazy. crazy that's what that's that pretty is. crazy i that's, never knew this yeah i know i never knew that's, this that's yeah, pretty literally. crazy yeah and and the more wow. terms you add of course if you go to infinity the projection will be the function itself mm -hmm. but if you if you cut it off then your approximation will be the projection onto the sine and cosine Function Damn, space. that is a really cool yeah. property. So, like, I yeah. mean, if you guys listen to our Fourier series episode, like, you might that might make some sense. But uh, if not, well, it really, it really was a cool fact. That was a really cool fact. Yeah. That Very wow, cool. I never and, even thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah, and the way that the Damn. way that like linear algebra initially you learn about just vectors and stuff, but the minute you start thinking about function spaces and yeah, two pi periodic function spaces and all that stuff you, like the possibilities are endless you can do so many things damn it's it's crazy but yeah that's amazing that's i mean truly the essence of trigonometry you know what i mean <laughs> truly yeah. like this is crazy this is so 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 useful so, what i noticed though is that we didn't even talk about like speed or angular velocity or anything yeah we can make an episode on uh classical mechanics and oh yeah stuff. maybe we can talk about that stuff there because it i mean even though speed and angular velocity do have attributes to trigonometry because it is based on that it is more about as you said classical mechanics it is about like how the object is actually moving so it's yeah. a lot more to do with kinematics For dynamics sure. which to be yeah. honest just has small just has trig in there it's not really on trig 
So yeah, so you're, you're right. Maybe we can make make a make a new one, make right. another one. So yeah. So I hope uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Absolutely. Trigger trigonometry. It was certainly fun to make. Yeah, this was such sure. a dope talk. Sure. Like I really enjoyed it because yeah. like I found out I found out that, that, that that's so cool and the fact that that was in our notes. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. We didn't. Even no, see that. I mean, ty- like this was at the very beginning of the year. Okay. Where like we had like they sent us like pdfs of the readings yeah and it was like super complicated (laughs) um like we were kind of learning about Fourier series and we're like yeah we have no idea what's going on here um but i just i I really took the time to read it and when i read that part i was like this is absolutely mind-blowing like very insane anyways thank you so much for listening to episode number 60 of the math and physics podcast Before... make sure to follow us on instagram oh at math.physics.podcast I, I just i just wanted to mention the 100k q a because like i don't know if people usually click away after we say this has been math and physics podcast like i sure. i don't know our listeners out there so let's just saying 100k q a just a quick reminder again for next saturday so if you guys can be on, like that would be really cool. Where obviously it's gonna be only on YouTube, so it's not gonna be a Spotify thing or any. So any, so any of you listeners, basically, like if you guys like to listen to us, maybe you want to come see us. So yeah, just keep uh keep our Instagram posted. Just keep checking it, and we're just gonna update you guys there. So see us Saturday, hopefully. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. Man. All right. So yeah, this has been episode number sixty, Math and Physics podcast. I am your host, Parker, and I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, guys.